You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Welcome to the Fighting for the Faith radio podcast. I'm Chris Rosebro. This is the show that's all about defending the Christian faith from error and attacks from both inside and outside of the church. You can call me the heresy hunter if you want to, or the Bealzebuster, or if you'd like to think of me as something more militaristic, just think of me as the field marshal of arms in the war for truth here in the Christian faith. All right, just want to remind you, we have a website. The website is fightingforthefaith.com. And if you would like to email us your questions, if you have something you'd like to say, you'd like to take us on or comment back on something, send us your emails. And what we'll do is uh, before we get going into each of the day's segments when we do the program, we'll take a look at our mailbag. And if uh, we deem that your question is worthy of uh, responding to, then we will. want to let you know that today we got two show observers today. My lovely and beautiful wife, Barbara. Hello. And we also have Ruby Tuesday. Hello. <laughs> Ruby Tuesday will remain anonymous from here on out. I, th- I think this is funny because today's show, we're going to be talking about things uh, pertaining to feminism in the church. Today is our estrogen-filled Fighting for the Faith program, and so we're going to be looking at all things estrogen. Loads of fun. Uh Uh-huh. It's going to absolutely just kill you, I'm sure. So uh, their job is to uh, ask questions. If I don't make sense, they can shoot me a nasty look. Or if I step on their feminine toes today, they can have laser beams fly out of their eyeballs and get me right in the gut. But uh, (laughs) it's an interesting day for us. This podcast, so that you know, is going out on Monday uh, today's the 7th, 8th, 9th, so we're recording it on Saturday. This will go out on Monday, the 9th of July, so you're hearing us preparing it ahead of time. Today's a big day. Our son is uh, celebrating his 18th birthday. I'm feeling old. How about you? Very old. <laughs> it's not right. Children should not be allowed to grow up at all. So it, I agree. we got like you know almost 50 people uh, coming to a park here in our local area. By the way, we're broadcasting from beautiful San Clemente, California. And uh, so today's a big day for us. Our son, Josh, was turning 18 this week. Hard to believe. He, just a couple of days ago, we were going through potty training, and now he's driving and almost graduating from high school. What's going on here? All right. Let's uh, get into today's topic, and we're going to be t- commenting on several things we've been noticing in the news. And I've got a, a, a story here from the Christian Post. Headline reads, Churches urged to exorcise macho leadership model exercise interesting verb there that they get rid of them well yes i mean exorcisms i mean you get rid of a demon right so apparently uh there's churches out there that think we're suffering from the demon of macho leadership and uh let's uh, let's talk about this story here this is um here's what it reads pastors theologians and lay leaders from 17 countries throughout africa asia europe latin america and northern america are convening in Limoru, Kenya, to explore the gap between women and men in leadership. Did you know there's a gap? Well, according to scripture, women are not supposed to be preachers. Okay, well, we'll get to that. Let's get to that. Well, there's a gap, apparently, and it's because of macho leadership. 
So the, here's what it's here's what they say. July 29th through July 4th conference is sponsored by the World Alliance of Reformed Churches. Actually, scratch that. We should probably call this the World Alliance of Liberal Churches. You know, liberal. Yeah, that makes sense. Remember when Josh was little? You know, we didn't scare him and say monsters were under the bed or anything like that. When he was a little tyke and he was afraid of things under his bed, we'd say if he was bad, the liberals were going to get him. And so he's afraid of liberals. Yes, he was. <laughs> monsters that's right and if any of you hearing this want to call you know protective services and have joshua taken away from us for teaching him that liberals are scary monsters that can hurt him then uh email us and we'll be happy to send them to you you know because quite frankly i don't know if, yeah the kids are gonna be 18 he could leave so yes but uh all right let's let's go back the to the damage has been done that's right so uh here's what the story says um the uh is sponsored by the world alliance of liberal churches known as WARC. Uh, well, actually, with it, with mine, it'd be W-A-R-L-K. World. <laughs> All right. And St. Paul's United Theological College in Limeroux. Here's, here's a quote from one of the people. The consultation on gender power and leadership is timely because it reminds us that while more than half of our nations and churches are women, and while women contribute immensely to the socioeconomic development of any country, they are still... Largely decorations and tokens when it comes to leadership. Okay. <laughs> keep reading. All right, I'm going to keep reading. By the way, this is a quote from Esther Mambo. <laughs> She's the academic dean at St. Paul's, and this is, uh, she continued, Mambo noted that while a number of women in Africa are theologically trained and ordained in some churches since the 1970s, See, that's the problem. they still remain in the periphery of the church. Quote, this is Mambo talking again, this consultation is a challenge to the church and a theological institution that the macho approach should be exorcised. You know, you've seen the movie The Exorcism, you know, you got the the girl with the head spinning around and all that kind of stuff. That's the problem here is, is that we have, the church is suffering from the demon of men. Okay, the, the, the macho approach should be exercised from the church, theology, and theological institutions. During the consultation, participants will examine power and leadership within local, regional, and governor geo, global geopolitical contexts, analyze and reflect on power and leadership in the church from a theological perspective. They will challenge patriarchal, patriarchal aspects of ministry and identify negative impacts, and then get this, they're going to envision new models of leadership. They're going to envision them. Drawing on feminist theology. Woohoo! Feminist theology, yay! And they're going to offer alternative models of leadership that address the gender gap in church leadership. So we're going to be having pink Bibles and what else? <laughs> Let me continue. Okay. Okay, quote, current leadership models in church and society are limiting and they erect barriers to fostering justice and peace, sharing resources, and building just and humane societies. This is uh, Patricia Shir Atan, Biznouth, Executive Director for Warp, and uh, and she's into renewal. Like just yeah, warped would be good. So here, here's the here's two more quotes here. Women in ministry seek new models of leadership which are built on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And his resistance to the ethics of domination and control. What? Okay, yeah, oh, that's good. Okay, this, and the, let me finish this up quote here. 
Many churches have failed to address gender, power, and leadership in prophetic ways. Woohoo! Okay, this is because it's deemed dangerous and uh, a dangerous issue which can have negative effects on church unity. Well, yeah. But first, I want to go back and explore a couple of these things here. Um, we've talked about the fact they're using the verb exorcise as if having male leadership is somehow some demonic or right. whatever. But here's the fun one. Again, she says, Women in ministry seek new models of leadership which are built on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Well, doing a little research here, um, yeah, in my Bible, okay, we're going to just look at Luke chapter 6, and we're going to look at Jesus' ministry team. Exactly, I was gonna say. I okay. didn't see any female uh, apostles. I let, let's just double check here, though. Okay. Okay. So here's what it says in Luke chapter six, uh, verse twelve. In the in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Okay. Time to check here. See if there's any women. S- here they are: Simon, whom he named Peter, man. Andrew and his brother, man, man, and James and John, man, man, and Philip and Bartholomew, man, man, and Matthew and Thomas, man, man, and James the son of Alphaeus, man, and Simon was all who was called the zealot, man, and uh, Judas the son of James, man, and Judas Iscariot, man. Dang it. I don't see any women in the list. I don't either. That's it? Jesus is a sexist. That's the only conclusion that we can draw. He obviously is not concerned with envisioning new models of leadership, drawing on feminine theology. In fact, um, these gals are right that they're offering alternative models to leadership, but their model, that these models that they're envisioning and offering, these alternative models, well, they're um, alternatives to the leadership that Jesus set up. Huh. Obviously, Jesus is from the old school. <laughs> Jesus is from the old school. I, yeah, in fact, I think he is the old school. Uh, I agree. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what I think is hilarious here is that uh, current leadership models in the church and society are limiting and they erect barriers for fostering justice and peace, sharing resources, and building just and humane societies. You know, last time I read the Bible, and, you know, I you see me, I, I read it a lot. You know, in fact, I'm teaching our son, the 18-year-old, who, if you want to have taken out of our house, um, please call your local uh, per child. No, you can call our home number. <laughs> call I, today. I'm teaching him Greek. It, it's <laughs> he takes out the garbage? <laughs> Only when forced. He mows the lawn? Only when forced. Okay. So we continue on here. They, 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 you know, last time I checked the scriptures, okay, and you know, I read it in Greek and I read it in Hebrew. I read the whole thing through me you know, several times, and I never saw anything in there about Jesus building just and humane societies. Not at all. No, in fact, I have no idea where these women are coming from. In fact, I what think there's. What would that look like? Uh, well, uh, one where all the women were in charge. That still is not uh, just. Right. It, it, I know. I, I had a mother. <laughs> she, she was very scary when she became angry. <laughs> okay. So none of the apostles, we've established the fact that none of the apostles are uh, are are female. Right. Okay. So Jesus is a sexist. 
So if you got a problem with the the way the minister, this macho leadership was set up, take it up with Jesus. In fact, here's an interesting thing from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 33. It says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the <laughs> the context here for saying that... Right there. It, that shows why we don't have women ruling the world. <laughs> <laughs> we continue. Let me continue. Here's what okay. it says. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Okay, now I just want to point this out. It says, as in all the churches of the saints. Paul here is not giving his own personal opinion. Okay, by the time Paul is writing to the Corinthians, which is in in the mid-50s, already it's established in all the churches that it's male leadership only. Okay, and this is not his personal pet idea, but uh, it is as in all the churches of the saints. Now, for all the feminists who are so offended by that verse, should they even know it's in there? Why don't you explain what he really means by that? Um, Actually, it's real simple. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Pretty straightforward. Yes. Okay, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, what about teaching Sunday school to children in the church? No problem there. And, he, and you know, when you cross-reference this with First Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 14, the idea here is, is that a woman is not to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So we're talking about from the pulpit. Right, correct? that's correct. Yes. So, and, you know, they will say, oh, well, that's a cultural thing. And the reason why we know it's not a cultural thing is from uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses thir- uh, verse 13 and 14. Here's what it says. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not bece- deceived, but the woman was be- deceived and became a transgressor. So what happens is when you take 1 Corinthians 14, as in all the churches, we take the fact that Jesus had, didn't have any female disciples, all the leadership was male in all the churches in the first century, and they had a prohibition against it. And the prohibition goes all the way back, to, you know, now to an appeal to uh, creation itself. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Anyone want to fight about this or have an issue with it? They need to take it up with God. Okay, if they have a problem with it, take it up with God. And when the Holy Spirit says, "Yeah, all right, I'll change my mind," then. They can come and talk to us. But in the meantime, um, the church doesn't suffer from a demon of macho leadership. This is exactly how Jesus Christ set it up. And we need to be willing and have the guts to actually speak the truth here. So, all right, we're finishing up with that segment. You're listening to the Fighting for the Faith radio podcast. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the Fighting for the Faith radio podcast. Uh, before we get into our next section, I just want to remind people to visit the website, fightingforthefaith.com, and you can email us at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com if you want to send your comments or ask questions. And uh, if we find your question or comment worthy, we have very strict, stringent standards that we apply to all of our correspondence here before we would dare put them on the podcast. But if we... Uh, from on high, decide that you you have met our standards, then uh, we may read your comment or question on the air. All right, 
Uh, next segment here, we're going to be, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story. It's actually been making the rounds, uh, you know, and it's a pretty interesting one. There's a woman named the Reverend Ann Holmes Redding. And uh, back last month, the Seattle Times ran a story about her. And let me tell you about the Reverend Ann Holmes Redding. Already, if you listen that's to our, first problem. that's our first problem is, is that we got a female in the poll, but she's an Episcopal priest, ordained minister. And, um, she claims to be a Christian and a Muslim. She, back in March of 2006, she became a Muslim. This is not even logically possible. Well, that doesn't seem to bother Episcopals or people who are postmodern in their thinking. The postmoderns, they, they like to embrace contradiction. Anything goes, I know. That's right. Anything goes. And it's, what's really funny is, is that they've completely lost this, you know, connection with reality. Okay, we don't live our lives in contradiction like this, in this idea that two things that are completely mutually exclusive can exist in the same, at the same time as truth. For instance, I don't have any, I've never, in fact, I've never met a banker who's postmodern. Okay. I never, in fact, my, the, when I go online to check my account, you know, for my bank, my checking account, see how much money I have. I've never seen the postmodern interpretation of how much money I have in my account. And thank God. Okay. Cause I mean, one day you can look in your account with a postmodern bank and they'd say, well, you have about a million bucks. And then the next day you think, wow, gosh, I've got a million bucks. You go and decide that you're going to spend it and your credit card could be your denied or your debit card would be denied. And you come to find out, well, you're actually a million overdrawn. Well, which is it? Well, um, you know, in a postmodern way of thinking, they can both be true. You know, but we, we don't, the real world doesn't operate this way. And what's really funny about these folks is that they're really unrepentant unbelievers who seem to think that they can embrace two contradictory, two contradictory ideas. And then what they do is they get people, they'll say, and see, this is the spiritual and enlightened way of look at it. And people go, ooh, that's spiritual. The problem is not their ideas necessarily. It's the fact that people believe them. That's the problem. They get a following of people who believe this garbage. Well, the last thing we want to have as, as human beings, since Scripture says that we are dead in our sins and we're at war with God, we're actively hostile to him. The last thing that we sinners are going to want to do is say to God, yeah, you're right. I was wrong. I give up. I'm going to give I'm going to hand over all of my idolatrous ideas and just follow what you want to believe. What happens is is that we sinners are offended. We don't like the fact that there's only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ. And we don't like that. And so we want to be open and we want to embrace everybody. And as a result of it we end up with people like the Reverend M Holmes Redding who <clears throat> in case you couldn't tell is a liberal a liberal theologian of, or liberal, she follows liberal theology. And we'll get into this because there's all kinds of ways that you can skin this particular story. But let me read you a couple things from the, uh, from the Seattle Times story. It says, um, uh, shortly after noon on Fridays, the Reverend Ann Holmes Redding ties on her black headscarf, preparing to pray with her Muslim group at, on First Hill. On Sunday mornings, Redding puts on the white collar of an Episcopal priest. She does both. She says because she's Christian and Muslim. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay. Okay. Here, here's what she says. Okay. Quote, there are tenets of the, of the faiths that are very, very different. 
said, uh, I'm sorry, this is not her, Kurt Ferguson, director of, doc, uh, of the Doctor of Ministry program at Fuller Theological Seminary. The most basic would be, what do you do with Jesus? Christianity has historically regarded Jesus as the Son of God incarnate, both fully human and fully divine. Muslims, though, they regard Jesus as a great prophet and do not see him as divine and do not consider him to be the Son of God. Okay, so here's the, here's, this is the real issue. Is that, okay, if you really want to boil it all down, the two faiths, Christianity and Islam, have completely different views of Jesus Christ. Okay? Here's what Redding, uh, here's what it says about these contradictions. Redding doesn't feel she has to resolve all the contradictions. People within one religion can't even agree on all the details, she said, so why should I spend time to try to reconcile all the Christian beliefs with all of Islam? At the most basic level, I understand the two religions to be compatible, and that's all I need. She says she felt an inexplicable call to become Muslim and to surrender to God. And the meaning of the word, by the way, Islam is surrender. Who Jesus is, is everything. Oh, I agree. Jesus says, unless you believe in who I claim to be, you will die in your sin. But here's what she says. I was following Jesus, and he led me to Islam. He didn't drop me off at the door. Right. She says that he's there too. Wrong. <laughs> well, she said he is. I mean, you're just unloving. That is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm totally unloving. I'm proud of it. Okay. Now, let's take a look at something here. Now, we already talked about the fact that women should not be ordained ministers. They have no position of authority within the church. They And so... Obviously, strike one here is the fact that the Episcopal Church even ordained this woman and put her in the pulpit. Now, what's interesting, let's, let's, so let's take a look at the fact, okay, now we've got a woman in the pulpit. Let's look at her beliefs regarding Jesus, okay? Because what does she do with him? Um, the, here's, what, here's what we find out about her beliefs. Uh, it says, Indeed, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism trace their roots to Abraham, the patriarch of Judaism, who is also considered the spiritual father of all three faiths. They share a common belief in one God, and they and there are certain similar stories in their holy texts. But there are many significant differences. Muslims regard the Quran as the unadulterated word of God delivered through the angel Gabriel to Muhammad. While they believe the Torah and the Gospels include revelations from God, they believe that these revelations have been misinterpreted or mishandled by humans. Most significantly, Muslims and Christians disagree over the divinity of Jesus. Muslims generally believe in Jesus' virgin birth, that he was a messenger of God, that he ascended to heaven alive, and that he will come back at the end of time to destroy evil. They do not believe in the Trinity, in the divinity of Jesus, or his death and resurrection. For Christians, belief in Jesus' divinity, and that he died on the cross and was resurrected, lie at the heart of the faith, as does the belief that there is one God who consists of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've actually got to commend the uh, Seattle Times. They did a good job of explaining the differences. Yeah, they did. Okay, now listen to this. Redding's views even before she embraced Islam. That is the key phrase. Redding's views even before she embraced Islam were more interpretive than literal. Of course they were. Exactly. They have to be in order to believe the Muslim faith. Right. Well, she's liberal theologically. Exactly. Okay. She believes the Trinity is an idea about God and cannot be taken literally. She does not believe Jesus and God are the same, but rather God is more than Jesus. She believes Jesus is the Son of God insofar as all humans 
are the children of God, and Jesus is divine just as all humans are divine, because God dwells within all humans. So actually, I think she's got a she's got a little Hinduism and pantheism, yeah, pantheism running, running yeah, around. Yeah, a little pantheism. We're all divine. Woo-hoo! I'm a god. I'm no, a god. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> here's what she here's what she continues. What makes Jesus unique? She believes is that out of all the humans, he most embodied being filled with God and identifying completely with God's will. All right. So even before she becomes a Muslim, okay. She she's is already wrong. She's already way off base. She denies the Trinity, denies the deity of Christ, reinterprets it. She's got a different gospel based upon works. Um, she did does. She, did she go to Fuller Seminary? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> it doesn't say. I think she went to Brown University. We read that in Just another. Just bad. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the deal. She shouldn't have been in the pulpit to begin with. And then let's just put it in an if proposition. Let's say. Pretend that Jesus allowed for women to be in the ministry, just for a second, okay? She still is disqualified because she teaches a different gospel. She's a heretic. Right. She's a heretic. She denies the Trinity, denies that Jesus is is God in human flesh. She's got a different Jesus, a different gospel. She has no business being in the pulpit whatsoever. By the way, we got news today that she was actually suspended for a year because of uh, good, yeah, I actually think that's wimpy. Okay, she needs to be defrocked. She needs to be thrown out. Yeah, She's not. That's a start. That's a start. Yeah, that's it, a lot coming from a liberal organization. <laughs> I'm sure the Episcopal Church had a rough time, at, you know, Im- implementing that one. I'm sure they did. A lot of hang ringing. Oh, what do we do? What do we do? So tell, what were you going to say? She was suspended. She was life. suspended for a year. She can't. She can't preach for a year. She's. Thank God. Yep. So, but the problem is, is that even that's wimpy. Based upon her theology, her theology and doctrine, she has no business being in the Christian pulpit. And these were her views before she became a Muslim. So, of course, she's not going to have any problem being a Muslim because she already agrees with the Muslims that Jesus isn't God. Right. So, you know, we got a problem here. But now let's take a look at what Scripture has to say about this. Okay. I mean, who does Jesus think he is? I think is a great question. And just let me read a few, read to you a few passages. And uh, let me whip out my Bible here. All right. In John chapter 5, this is what we read about Jesus. And uh, just a little bit of context. This is John chapter 5. And um, he had just healed a man and talked with him. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus actually heals a man on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working, and I am working. Verse 18. Well, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So we Christians, when we talk about Jesus and say that he's the son of God, Understand that when we're when we're saying that we're actually claiming divinity for Jesus Christ. We uh, continue in John chapter eight. Here's what Jesus says, starting in verse twenty three. He said to them, "You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am." He said, "You will die in your sins." Now, what's the significance of the, if you, unless you believe that I am? Do you have to just believe that Jesus existed? No. 
Here, Jesus, the word, the term I am, ego me in the Greek, literally Jesus is saying that he's God. He's using the divine name from Exodus. Remember Moses at the burning bush? God tells him to take off his sandals, gives him a task to do, tells him to go to the Israelites in Egypt and uh, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And so Moses says, well, okay, well, oh, sure, okay, I'll do all this, begrudgingly. And he says, well, who should I say sent me? And God answers from the burning bush, I am. Okay. So Jesus is using the divine name here for himself and says, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. John 10, this is, gets even more dicey. So the Jews gathered around Jesus. This is 10:24. John 10:24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my, uh, in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all of you. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now the Jews picked up stones again to stone Jesus. Why? Because he committed blasphemy in their mind. He was claiming to be God. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself equal with God. It's pretty clear. I mean, Jesus claimed to be God. So here we, are, here we got this problem. We got the Reverend Ann Redding Holmes, a Christian priest... Should we call her a pastrix? Slash Muslim. Yeah, slash Muslim. Christian pastrix slash Muslim claiming that she doesn't believe in the Trinity. By the way, what I'm going to do, for those of you who would like to uh, get a little bit more doctrinal depth and uh, biblical understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, on the show notes for today, I'll put a link to a Sunday school lesson that I did explaining the biblical case for the doctrine of the Trinity. It will be up and on the website at fightingforthefaith.com. But today, here we got this issue. Who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the Anne Redding Holmes that Jesus isn't divine, that he's just divine as we all are divine? Or you know, are we going to believe his words in Scripture where he says that he and the Father are one, where it says that Jesus is God in human flesh? Well, okay, let me, I'm going to take two seconds. Okay, I'm done thinking about it. I trust the Scriptures. I think Anne, the, the pastrix, Anne Redding Holmes, is a liar. She has no business being in a pulpit, and I'm glad she got suspended, but that's not enough. She needs to be defrocked and thrown out of the Christian church until she repents of her doctrine and comes to faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Who is this so weak and helpless, child of lowly? Okay, welcome to uh, welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, uh, we have a website, fightingforthefaith.com. I'm going to put up in the show notes today 
a link to a lesson that I did. It's called an Extreme Sunday School Lesson on the Doctrine of the Trinity. You'll have a link there. Again, just a reminder, you can comment back to us by writing or emailing us at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Now, we just finished up a segment uh, talking about left-wing priestess for Allah, the Pastrix <laughs> Ann Redding's home, Holmes Redding, yeah, whatever. And um, what I think is interesting here is that if you're familiar with uh, the emergent church and Brian McLaren and those types, uh, my contention would be is that uh, Brian McLaren, emergent guru, writer of the book A Generous Orthodoxy, uh, and the secret message of Jesus, he would have no problem with uh, the Reverend Ann Redding Holmes and her embracing of both religions. How sad! And in fact, this is a you know a generous orthodoxy is uh, published by Zondervan Publishing's uh, publishing house, and uh, Brian McLaren could only be described as an error at best, you know, regarding these things. And I, I, I'm going to read to you something that I thought was pretty interesting from his book, a generous a generous orthodoxy. By the way, the uh, the subtitle of this book says it all. It says, Why I am a missional, evangelical, post-Protestant, liberal, conservative, mystical, poetic, biblical, charismatic, contemplative, fundamentalist, Calvinist, Anabaptist, Anglican, Methodist, Catholic, green, incarnational, depressed yet hopeful, emergent, unfinished Christian. That's like saying... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it, it's... it's So confused. Taking all these mutually exclus- exclusive uh, ideas and sticking them together. Hi, I'm a flaming snowflake. I'm a fat, thin Christian. You know. That poor man. He okay. needs some serious health. Okay, listen to this. This is uh, from... Ch- uh, from uh, Page 260 of A Generous Orthodoxy. I mean, his idea of generous orthodoxy, it's so generous, it even applies to people outside of the Christian faith. Of course. Here's what he says. I must add, though, that I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to the Christian religion. It may be advisable in many, but not all, circumstances to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, or Jewish contexts. Okay. <laughs> this is such scary stuff. Oh, I know. What is happening to the church? Uh, that well, people like this can even get a following. Oh, I like know. Books that sell. Oh, what is happening. He's spiritual. Don't judge him. You can't see his heart. He has a heart for everybody, and he cares about the poor too. Ooh, bonus. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, gotta come up from Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> I agree with Ruby. Okay. Now, this is this is interesting. I'm going to play a couple of sound clips from uh from Brian McLaren that I think, you know, this was recently there was an AP uh newswire story that went out about him basically saying he doesn't think it's important to convert people to Christianity. Here were some of the quotes. You need to you need to hear this. Here we go. Let's hear his quote number 1 from Brian McLaren. Jesus coming was not primarily about getting people into heaven versus hell. I think he was actually coming to proclaim the kingdom of God, which is God's will being done on earth. Okay, Jesus' coming was not primarily about getting people you know, into heaven versus hell, Brian McLaren says. That's really funny because Jesus himself actually explains why he came to earth, and it, it actually contradicts what... Uh, what Brian McLaren said. Here's what Jesus said in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
Brian McLaren says that Jesus was here not primarily to take people from heaven to hell or hell to heaven, but to uh, proclaim the kingdom of God here on earth. This sounds like the Jehovah's Witness. They're all about God's kingdom on earth. Well, yeah, but there's this little if. The, the, the king, God's kingdom on earth for the Jehovah's Witness is so after the, Armageddon. I know. Okay, God it's come... only for the 144,000. Right. I know. I, I, I know. Yeah. But still, the idea... Is the same. They're Brian McLaren on the wrong thing. Brian McLaren thinks that we, you know, we need to be working for the kingdom here and now. That means social justice issues and all that kind of stuff. Now, granted, I think taking care of the poor is important. Yes, it is. That is important, but that's not what saves you. No, it's not. In fact, the gospel message is here. I made you a sandwich. That's not the gospel message. That's correct. You know, the gospel message is good news. Your sins are forgiven in Christ, that you don't have to earn your salvation by keeping the law because you can't. Christ has done it for you, and he's offering you salvation for free as a gift. Repent and believe the gospel. But Brian McLaren, you know, doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't like the substitutionary atonement. In fact, he speaks against it. And, uh, in, uh, his book, A New Kind of Christian has one of his characters describe it as cosmic child abuse. Well, then there's no difference between him and a Pharisee. Because he doesn't believe Jesus is God dying for our sins, but he does believe in good works. So he's just like a mo- he's a modern day Pharisee. Actually, I would put a different spin. I think he's more like a Sadducee. The Sadducees oh, were like Sadducee, the liberals, right. the liberals, right, exactly. you know, of their day. They didn't believe in the in the uh, in the resurrection and things like that. The Pharisees were conservatives. The Sadducees were the liberals. There you go. He was okay. a Sadducee. He was yeah. He was very sad. You Sadducee. see. All right. Here, here's, very sad. Yeah, very yes, sad. I see. All right, so here's the next uh, soundbite from Brian McLaren. We want to share our faith with other people, but people who don't want to accept our faith, they're very happy being Muslim or Buddhist or Jewish or atheist or whatever. We have to say, well, you know what? Our faith drives us to want to be good neighbors to them and care about them, whether or not they ever accept our faith. Okay, interesting, interesting soundbite. First of all, I agree. We need to be good neighbors to everybody. Just because our next-door neighbors or our friends or whatever have a different faith than we do, that doesn't give us the right to pull out our our spiritual shotgun and blast them between the eyes all the time or to mistreat them or you know exercise bigotry toward them and basically say you're not going to you're not going to fit in in this town son cuz you're you're not what I am. Okay, I agree with McLaren at that point. The problem here is is that he doesn't, you know, in the context of what he's talking about and from what we've read, he actually believes it's possible for you to be a Christ follower, to be somebody who follows Jesus and still be in another religion, which is the big problem. That's really what's at the heart of this. Here's here's soundbite number three. I wish that everybody would find all the great things I found through Christ. There's no question about it. But that's not the same as wanting to shoehorn them out of their religion and push them into mine shoehorn them out of the religion. What does he mean by that? It's not the same as shoehorning them out of the religion. Does that mean we shouldn't go and tell them the truth, that Jesus is the only way? Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. Jesus Christ didn't preach a broad road. He preached a narrow road. And he is that road. And Brian McLaren, on the other hand, I mean, he sounds like he's perfectly content with the idea, since it's possible to have... Christ followers who are Buddhist, Muslim, or whatever, you know, he doesn't have, he just, we might not, might as well not even try to convert them. Can you imagine what the book of Acts would have read like if Paul and the apostles had this mindset? You know, it says in scripture in the book of Acts, 
that Paul, when he would get him into a town, he would go into the local synagogue and actually debate them, showing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He was very certain about this. And, you know, and so he would actually go and talk to Jews who were not Christians and try to share with them the message that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he would mix it up with them. In fact, he got them so upset that they were, they, stoned him they had him beaten he had him flogged he he was they basically ran him out of town they weren't very happy with his his methods or his approach and yet jesus christ tells paul to not give up to keep talking to not be silent it sounds like the apostle paul and brian mclaren are on two completely different planets and um you know again who should we believe should we believe scripture and what christ said or should we believe brian mclaren you got two seconds. Okay, I'm done. I'm going with Jesus. So it's just, again, it's one of those things where if you're really going to take this stuff seriously, where does he get off in, in contradicting scripture and why on earth should any of us listen to him? It sounds like he doesn't know what scripture says. Oh, he does. He's so off. He's, he does know exactly what it says and he disagrees with it. Okay. He wants to be able to have his cake and eat it too. He wants a generous orthodoxy, so generous that, you know, you're, that Muslim over there who may have never even heard of Jesus may actually be a Jesus follower and not know it. Okay, that's how generous his orthodoxy is, and there's a huge problem. Now, what's funny is, is that I actually tried to contact Brian McLaren this week to uh, get his take on the left-wing priestess for Allah, and... um <laughs> And uh, in my in my quest to get a hold of him, I was able to have a conversation with somebody who uh, used to attend church with Brian McLaren and is a close friend of his. And when I asked him about it, his he said, "Well, my personal opinion, although I haven't talked with Brian about this, is is that he probably wouldn't see any problem with embracing Islam and Christianity at the same time." And uh, <laughs> you know, his quotes basically say that. And so somebody who knows him very closely said that that was that would. That's what he thought Brian would say. Contacted Sojourners, which is an organization that he uh, that he works with, and talked with their press secretary to see if uh, I can get a get Brian to actually comment on it. And you know, basically said, you know, hey, would like to know what his opinion is. You know, based on what he's written in the past, it would seem that he you know he wouldn't have a problem with uh, somebody embracing Christianity and Islam at the same time. Well, I got a nice terse email back from the press guy basically saying, we're sorry, but um, Brian is is not going to be commenting on this story anytime in the future. <laughs> <laughs> what I find funny is, okay, Brian, if you're really a Christian, okay, if you really believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh and you really believe the scriptures, how hard would it have you for, would it have been for you to basically say, you know, this woman denies the deity of Christ, denies the Trinity, thinks that you can hold two mutually exclusive claims. She's obviously outside of the pale of Christianity. It's a sad story. We'll be praying for her. How hard would it have been for him to do that? The fact that he's not commenting on it basically it means he supports it. Oh yeah, you know, I, I I think you say a lot by what you refuse to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, he knew that uh, he if he had said something, it would have given his. Uh, his opponents a lot to chew on. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. We'll be right back.
Okay, welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. Uh, we're up to our last segment today. And uh, we're going to talk about a, uh, a blog piece that was put out by a guy by the name of Chris Elrod. He is a writer for RelevantChristian.com. And normally, the guys over at RelevantChristian.com are people I don't necessarily agree with. I think we're off on two completely different planets as far as what the church needs to be doing. But this particular piece, I found myself saying, Amen. I agree with him. And uh, let's talk about what this implication is. That's odd. I know. Can you believe it? Oy vey. Gotta hear this one. Oy vey. Someone's gonna get struck by lightning. Okay. The name of the piece that Chris Elrod wrote is, We Need a More Manly Church. Woohoo! You're hearing that woohoo from a woman. <laughs> Alright. Here's what he says. I don't like most worship music and or worship leaders today. There, I said it. I know this may come as a shock to folks that normally read this blog because I write about music a lot. However, I really don't get into modern praise music or most of the people that lead it and write it. <laughs> Comes out swinging. Yeah. All right. Here's what he says. I love that, though. Okay. The, true. The biggest problem for me is that I'm a man, and most of the worship culture in America today seems to be for women. Women. I prefer manly men singing manly songs about a manly God. However, many of the worship leaders I've seen lately are wearing T-shirts imprinted with girly graphics, not to mention skinny women's jeans, drinking stupid named sissy coffee, strumming on acoustic guitars, and singing songs in some kind of high-pitched feminine voice that sounds like air supply on pot. <laughs> it all sounds like Coldplay or freaking Gordon Lightfoot. Two pretty I like Gordon Lightfoot. You're a woman. We I understand. Love him. I know you're a woman. That that's it's okay. <laughs> For instance, I I was watching a live worship DVD the other day, and all the guys were just well, mm, pretty and prissy, sort of like Freddie Mercury, Richard Simmons kind of way. I like some <laughs> of their music. I like some of their music until I saw the DVD, and then my stomach couldn't handle it. I know. <laughs> I mean, the lead singer was wearing more makeup than my wife. I know they. they <laughs> I know they they have to use some makeup on videos for cameras, but this guy was would make Boy George feel uncomfortable. He, he paints a great picture here. Uh, I think this has a lot to do with the reason why men have stopped coming to church, the music and the message. It's not for them. Church is going is being done to attract women. It's not just the worship leaders that are doing it. Pastors are just as guilty these days because many have started preaching felt needs. Ah, isn't that sweet? Instead of the word of God. Then you put sappy say say the same words 20 times music with it and you got a Mary Kay party. We've got to man up in the church today. <laughs> this is a great piece. It says, the songs of yesterday were hymns about blood, victory, and battle. Put to the beer-drinking tunes of the day. Manly stuff that makes me want to go wee in the woods just writing about it. <laughs> today we sing about love, peace, and joy. Put to music that sounds like the Wiggles. Excuse me while I go watch Oprah and hug myself. To top it off... Most preachers seem to get their topical message ideas from watching one episode of The View. May God have mercy on our soul. <laughs> you know, Chris, uh, you know, we uh, we probably disagree on a lot of things here, but uh, you and I are on the same page. You know, um, I attended a church where um, 
one of the worship leaders, uh, my kids referred to him as the bearded woman, you know, <laughs> and uh, anytime they would pass the pulpit over to him, it was like, okay, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. But I mean, every one of his songs were just ridiculously feminine. We call them Seven Eleven songs. You sing seven words eleven times each. That's, That's right. Song. Yeah, one of the worst songs. One of the worst songs I out there reminds me of like some old girlfriend that I had in high school. You know, she was really clingy, and you know, after we broke up, it was just a mess. And uh, you know, the song is "This Is the Air I Breathe." This is the air I breathe, your holy presence. You know, and then, and, and then, how's the, how's the chorus go? I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. I cannot sing that song. It's just every time it's like, it's like nails on a chalkboard. You know, there's nothing manly about it. Not only that, there's nothing spirit, there's nothing Christian about it. You know, Name me one Christian thing in there. There isn't. You know, it, talking about your holy presence, whoop-de-doo, the Mormons could sing that song. That's right. You know, if you would like a manly song, a manly hymn, let me give you one. This is by a gentleman by the name of Paul Spiritus. And this is somebody who was beaten and persecuted, lost his job, and nearly was killed for his Christian faith. I'll just read the words. Salvation unto us has come by God's grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. What God did in his law demand and none to him could render caused wrath and woe on every hand for man, the vile offender. Our flesh has not those pure desires the spirit of the law requires and lost is our condition. I mean, this is a manly song. This is a hymn. I would have no problem with someone taking this and putting it to a contemporary setting. Get rid of these stupid praise songs that sing and teach nothing. Actually, they sing and teach about us. Oh, yeah. It's all about us. It's all me, about me. and I. That's right. That's what there's, the words are. There's a great spoof. It's disgusting. There's a great spoof online about how all the, all the songs seem to be about singing about us. And they've got a, uh, they've got sound bites, you know, this guy doing these different songs. And one of the songs is, Lord, I lift my name on high. Lord, I love to sing my praises. <laughs> You're right. They are about us. They're not about Christ. Chris, we need to get back to singing about Christ, his blood, his victory, his death. And we need to get back to being able to sing onward Christian soldiers. Yeah. yeah, we need these manly songs to come back. A manly song is one that actually preaches and teaches something. These estrogen-filled, me-focused, Oprah Winfrey praise songs need to be tossed out of the church and uh, need to be thrown in the lake of fire. Thrown in the, thrown in the. They have no ability to survive. It's ridiculous. I mean, they they have no staying power unless you really like singing about yourself and nothing. You know, seven, eleven times at a time. Forget it. It's time for us to get back to Christ-centered cross-focused, meaty, manly hymns. I agree with you, Chris. So uh, I know, hang on to your hats there. I can't believe I'm in agreement with this guy. But 
There it is. And I would suggest we toss every one of the praise songs. And the only way we're going to let a song into church is if it sings about Christ and what he's done and lifts Christ's words up. It has to be more than seven songs. In fact, it has to at least have seven stanzas and they have to be really long before we'll sing it. You know. <laughs> and then remember, remember when they were making the transition, you know, the, some of these churches were making the transition from being traditional to contemporary. One of the ways they made the transition was they would sing, okay, we're only going to sing, sing verses one and four uh-huh. from a hymn. Uh, yeah. No, we're all going to stand up and we're going to sing all 100 stanzas. I don't care if it takes all day, you know, go grab something to drink because here we go. <laughs> I think that's the way to do it. No more wussing out. No more, no more saying, okay, we're only going to do one or two of the verses. Sing the whole thing all the way through. And, you know, revolt against they these other ones. written to be sang all the way through. Right. Not only that, by singing the great doctrines of the, of the Christian faith, it helps teach and, bultra, and buttress those doctrines in our heart. The Reformers uh, had a, a phrase that they used. It was lex arendi, lex credendi. The law of worship is the law of prayer. And basically the idea here is, is that what you sing and pray, okay, is going is what you're ultimately going to believe. If you sing and pray about the wonders of Christ, his death on the cross, his dying for your sins, you being a sinner needing to be rescued by him, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you're hearing it in the pulpit, you're hearing it proclaimed when uh, communion is being served, you're hearing it in all the hymns, that ultimately is what you believe. That was the idea. What you pray and and think is what you believe. But if you're going to be singing about yourself, and not singing anything at all that has any meat or substance to it. What are you saying you believe? I believe in nothing. I believe in the God of Oprah. You're saying you believe in yourself. And that's right. the last thing in the world we ought to put our faith in. Right. And these these churches need to stop preaching about life application and making your life better and felt needs. I mean, for heaven's sakes, why on earth would I want to attend a church and give 10% of my annual salary to a church when all their preaching and teaching is stuff I can get for free by listening to Dr. Phil, Oprah, and The View. I mean, give me a break. We, as the Christian church, are called to proclaim Christ. We pray. We actually te- are supposed to be teaching the mysteries of God found in Scripture. We're not finding the mysteries of God found in Scripture when you're teaching people five things that they can do to make their financial life better or three steps that they can take to have a better sex life. Oh, my goodness, that has nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever. We are to be proclaiming Christ and him crucified. And that's what Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 1. We preach Christ and him crucified, which is a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, pretty much the whole world. That's the thing that we've been given. We haven't been given life applications and things to make your life easier or social justice or making the world more equitable or safe or, or, or more friendly to each other. That's not Christianity. That's liberal theology. Not interested in it. Can't help me out one bit. So, all right. We'd like to thank you all for listening to the Fighting for the Faith radio podcast. We are at the end of our segments for the day. Hope all is well with you, and uh, we'll be praying for you and be praying for us. If you'd like to support this podcast, well, all we ask you to really do is tell people about it. Share this with your friends. Have them tune in and listen, and uh, spread the word about this podcast. 
Again, and if you have anything that you'd like us to discuss on the show, please email it to us and we will uh, review it. And if we like it, we will be happy to talk about it. That's right. And you can uh, email us at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Again, thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. Until then, God bless. 